Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is millennials and church. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Llewellyn, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. And today we have a special guest. I'm Pax, a member of Central. Excellent. Okay, so the reason we asked Pax is because we have a question from a listener from the Midwest named Casey. And Casey is a millennial and is wondering, where are all the millennials in church these days? Yep. But we are not millennials. Don and I are not millennials. We should probably name our generations since people can't see us. I am solidly Gen X sitting here. And I am solidly Xennial. I am one of those weird ones that sits right in between the two generations. Not quite Gen X. I'm too young to be a solid Gen Xer. And I'm too old to be a millennial. And my family adopted computers and tech very early because my father was a programmer. And so I am a bridge. I'm a Xennial. And Pax... I am a millennial, although I've learned that I'm probably a geriatric millennial um, <laughs> because I also grew up with like the dawn of social media and Facebook came out for college students my freshman year of college and MySpace was a thing. And so similarly grew up with technology, but I'm still not nearly as technologically savvy as people younger than me. Brilliant. So we have some uh, representations here of multiple generations. And I do want to say that Pax is a seminarian, one who is training for the ministry as a member of our congregation, is in the midst of study for going on to become an ordained pastor and has some wisdom and knowledge and study on church and church theory and those kinds of pieces. So Thanks for coming and joining us. It's wonderful to have you here. And you also listen to this podcast. Yes, I appreciate the invitation. It's very humbling. I've never been on a podcast before, and I have listened to every single episode of this podcast since I discovered its existence. That's amazing. My jaw just dropped. Exactly. Dawn, we have a listener. Look at that. We actually have a listener. (laughs) We have more than one. We have several. You are the silent minority is what you all are. (laughs) Yeah, this podcast has become a weekly spiritual practice of mine. Incredible. I love it. One of the things that I want to say is, Casey, thank you so much for sending this question. Casey and I were having conversations about a couple of different things from an email that was sent in from our listener And I want to just mention that I know what it's like to have people talk about my generation, but not talk to my generation or with my generation, because mm, I'd say 15 years ago, it was really kind of cool for people to talk about Gen X and millennials as like, ooh, let's talk about them and study them. And there were even like people who came in to pastors' retreats and gave entire conference talks about us. And the four or five of us who were in the room 
were never asked any questions about our experience to the point that we finally stood up and left the conference room and went out in the hallway and talked to each other and ate chocolate and enjoyed our time together. Wow. And so I think it's really dangerous. I've always wanted to remember when invited to talk about generational differences, how alienating that felt, how I felt like an animal in a cage in a zoo and that I was being looked at and examined and like, ooh, this fascinating creature that if we can only understand them, then maybe we'll unlock the future of how to get at their wallet and we'll have enough money to keep our churches open and enough energy to keep our programs that we invented and are important to us going. And especially when I was younger, it really felt that way. I didn't understand that feeling of desire to share community with or that desire to understand or the desire to create a multi-generational community and the gift that a multi-generational community can be. And that there truly is a gift in having a multi-generational community. And so it was November when Casey asked about this, and I didn't jump on it right away because I wanted to try and find a way to not do that, to not talk about a generation in a way that is like, well, those millennials who get blamed for so much as it is, right? Let's talk about them. So I wanted to toss that out there as we begin this conversation because I think it really matters. And I think that part of the reason why, you know, so few millennials attend or regularly attend organized religious services is because millennials have a really strong sense of being able to tell when you are trying to take advantage or just use them or that you don't have integrity or authenticity meter. Pax, is any of this ringing for you? Is any of this pinging anything off for you? Yes. Again, I'm going to make a disclaimer and say that I am not the authority on millennials or my generation. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm the unicorn of my generation sometimes because of my relationship to my faith and church and trying to like do the pastor thing in mm -hmm. this time. And, and I'm like really queer and non-binary. So all of these combinations make me this weird unicorn mm -hmm. in my life. And it's very hard for me to A, find queer friends, B, find friends who share a faith tradition and finding friends who are both at the same time. While I do have a handful now, thankfully, because of seminary, mm -hmm. ironically, unironically, I don't know. <laughs> but that that is my group of queer faith friends or my seminary friends. They do not exist outside of that context, usually. And yeah, I think from what I've heard, mostly people on social media have like reached out to me being like, hey, like, I don't really identify with this kind of stuff, faith, tradition anymore. It's done some harm to me. My parents forced me to go to church and I didn't really believe it. So I just stopped going and I don't identify or relate to it. It doesn't resonate, but I really appreciate the like perspective that you have. And that's like helped me kind of like reconcile some of that like tension for myself. But from what I've heard, they've either deconstructed what they were raised with and it they just don't relate to it mm -hmm. and they don't find meaning in it, which is fine, you know, mm -hmm. 
or it was forced upon them. And when they could have their own agency, they're like, I don't want that. That's not for me, which is valid. Mm -hmm. The church has done and continues to do immense harm and tries to like market itself as this like attractive thing to try to like get people to fill the pews. Right. And I'm like, is that the best book? Mm -hmm. I don't think Jesus did that very much. Like he was kind of out about with other people, meeting them where they were at and like having dinner with them very much like, you know, just sharing meals with others is a spiritual practice and presence. And I think we complicate it a lot. And also like I was baptized Lutheran, Mm -hmm. but I didn't go to a Lutheran church until I was like in middle school. Oh, interesting. My dad's mom is Catholic. My mom's Mm -hmm. mom was like non-denominational. So I had both ends of like the spectrum and because I'm very introverted, mm-hmm. I preferred going to church with my grandma's like liturgical, candlelit, like predictable, quieter, mm-hmm. Catholic setting, as opposed mm-hmm. to my granny's very loud, very chaotic, very like I had no idea what was going on as a four-year-old. And it was scary for me then. Mm-hmm. Now I have a little more appreciation for the faith practices that she practiced at the time as a four-year-old. I did not. So that was my childhood like church experience. And then also I'm from the South. I'm from South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And in middle school, so like 98, 99, 2000, 7th, 8th grade, my friends were all going to church. And they asked me, what church do you go to? And I said, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I told my mom, I'm like, we got to start going to church. I'm not (laughs) the only one who doesn't go. So we started going. (laughs) The church I was baptized at as a baby and I was about 13-ish at the time. And my pastor's like, oh, you should probably get confirmed. I'm like, what does that mean? I think you're about the only kid I can think of who asked to be going to church more regularly. Because <laughs> I would have gotten out of it at any way, shape, form possible at that age. I did not want to go. I was peer pressured at the church. <laughs> Which makes sense in context. Deep yeah. South. It's... Yeah. Everybody goes. Uh-huh. But I was the only Lutheran that I knew. I was like, what's Lutheran? Like, they're Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, non-denominational. But I was like, okay. So we started going to church, and I got into confirmation, and I was I was hooked. Like, I was just fascinated by all of it. And now I'm in seminary, so <laughs> the thread has continued. But, like, it was only me and one other person who got confirmed in my church. It was a really small church. And once... This other person got confirmed. They never came back. Mm-hmm. And I did. And I went by myself in high school. My parents stopped going. And I... Wow. Yeah. I just found a lot of meaning in it. And I have always been, from the time I was in high school, even now, granted, I don't want to speak for all of Central's demographics because I don't know who shows up on Zoom or online. But in person, it seems like I'm still the youngest person in the room. And I'm in my mid-30s. So mm. that has always been the case. So yeah, I just found a lot of meaning in it as a 13-year-old, and that meaning is just carried through with me into my life. And I have also done deconstruction and, like, asked the questions, and coming out as queer was a really big point in my faith life, and, you know, it's been a journey, but not everybody's in that place, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Where do you think the rest of your generation is in terms of faith? Do you think they would say they're more spiritual or would they actually pick a religion? Yes. <laughs> um, I think 
some of them had found different spiritual practices and outlets of spirituality. Some have chosen a more like agnostic, like, I don't really know what it is, but I don't want to really claim anything. Some are just atheist and said, I never believed it to begin with. And I just faked it and then just never came back, which takes a lot of courage to do. Yeah, I think it's all over the board. And then like, again, contextually, like in the South, I'm not sure, like the people who are asking me if I went to church on Sunday or what church I went to, I think they are still going to church and taking their families to church and participating in church. But I'm not sure about other folks, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. I find Casey's question here, this experience Casey had, and Casey is in kind of the Chicago area. What has driven millennials away and why does it feel like no one is reaching out is one of the things that Casey sent in and shares an experience of starting to attend a church in the area and reaching out, actively being the person to reach out to the pastor and asking for a pew buddy on Casey's first day. And they kindly answered right away and was introduced to their spouse because both the pastor and the pastor's spouse are millennials. But Casey wouldn't have learned about that community if a coworker hadn't given information about the congregation. And so, Pax, you talked about some of the reasons why millennials as a generation have left congregations. You know, being able to, when you leave home and you deconstruct your own faith and you make your own choices, you're starting out on your own uh, you're in your mid thirties by this point in time. So you're setting your own patterns. You're starting your own households. You may be starting your own families, but many of us in these generations are not starting our families by this point because educational debt and not being able to afford housing. We're not making as much money. Housing and work is not stable, right? Economic pressures are very high. So maybe, maybe not beginning with families, those kinds of situations, people either have experienced religious trauma, they're deconstructed, different kinds of faith, whether that be extreme conservatism or something that just doesn't match with their personality. Perhaps they are introverted and their families participated in these loud kind of spontaneous worship styles, or maybe they're a loud and spontaneous kind of person and they participated in a very staid patterned kind of worship situation and their personalities didn't fit along with the worship style. And so they leave and they leave church behind them and they aren't reconnecting. And particularly because of this lack of outreach. And I think that is one thing Casey also mentioned, at least around here, there is zero outreach to encourage anyone older than university age, but under 60 to attend church, even though we're a huge piece of the population and often have time and energy to serve others. And it's a wonderfully convicting point that our listener offers because outreach in those years is really hard. It's really difficult for those of us within church structure to imagine how to do outreach to those in their 20s. I'd say 24 to 45 would be the years that we would be looking to do the outreach for. And that would be any generation that ends up within those 24 to 45. When I was the generation in that age bracket, I was always the youngest in the room as well. And 
I wonder what it is about those years of our lives that, and I'm going to say it, if we don't get married and have children, whether that is in a heteronormative fashion or if it is in a queer accepting community, if it is a queer couple that has children, if we are not paired and married, finding a way into a church congregation as a single individual outside of a family unit is very difficult. I wouldn't have gone back having grown up Catholic. I went to college and I was very content not to go to church. That's for sure. Yeah. And especially having moved out here in the Pacific Northwest, where it's very unusual for people to go to church, I don't usually talk about the fact that I do. Mm-hmm. And even for me, like, because I worked retail most of my working life, so there were plenty of weekends that I could not go to church because I was working. Yep, sure. And if I was scheduled for too many Sundays in a row, like if I didn't go to church for a month, I would be scared to go back. As someone who went for most of my life, who knew everyone in my church, I didn't want the question, oh, where have you been? Oh, we've missed you. Like just the bombardment. I was like, I could not handle, I didn't like drawing attention to myself. Mm -hmm. Like it's very different showing up at a church for the first time. And like Pastor Amanda, I remember, walked to the back of the congregation my first Sunday, greeted me and my partner, had a little bit of a storytelling, like inquiring questions about like us and what brought us to the church. And that was it. And you said, oh, it's a delight to have you here. You open the service as you do when there are visitors kind of being like, this is a place of grace, very low pressure. And it was chill. When I have more than just church leadership bombarding me, I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> ah! <laughs> right. But also it's meaningful to be noticed and for people to at least acknowledge your presence, right? Because mm-hmm. I've had people say, oh, I was just completely ignored. No one shared the peace with me. Why did I even show up? So I can, I have mm-hmm. been on like both sides of that experience. But like when you get out of the, I'm not going to call it a habit because it is a spiritual practice for me. I do it with intention and it's not just a habit. My week is off if I do not do some way, shape or form of worship for my own self. But getting out of that practice, it's hard to get back into it, even for a, a seasoned Christian. So that could also be part of it. It could just be like, oh, it's just been so long. Like I've forgotten how to church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also like, as I have moved across the country from the South to the Midwest and now the Pacific Northwest, the first thing I do is find a church because I know there's the comfort, there's the liturgy. I don't have to think about it. I know what's going to happen. I don't have to like, I'm not going to be surprised by anything except for whatever is happening during communion. I do still get stressed out if I don't know what's happening during communion. Uh, but that's minimal stress because I do find a value in worship and church and you know, getting a hug, like when you're sharing the piece and as someone who appreciates physical touch as one of my love languages, when you're living on your own and it's just quiet and you're by yourself, you go to church, you get at least one hug. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that can also be one of a reason that people engage in faith community because it is the community piece, even if it's not the worship piece for some people, it's being around other people who trying to be human in the world. What was your experience in the Midwest versus the Pacific Northwest? Like, does it fall in the mid-range of the South? People just went. The Midwest, pretty common. And then the Pacific Northwest, not a lot of people go to church. 
Well, I will also clarify that the part of the Midwest I was in was a very small, like, agricultural town. And there sure. were two Lutheran churches nearby. The first one I tried out was smaller than the second one. And in both places, I was still the youngest. Nope, that's fine. The second one, there was a there was a family there, and they had kiddos who were younger than me. But there were two who were younger. Still following the same pattern is what you're saying. At least in my experience. I don't want to speak for the greater Midwest. I think there's something really fascinating about those years, about 25 to 45. As a first career or first moving out, there's something about that time in life. And millennials just happen to be the generation in that time right now. Not that are getting lost, not that that generation gets lost to the church, but that what is it about those years in a life that you either disconnect or find a different pathway. I'm always fascinated by that. And I know that people return to church when they do have children. And I think there is part of that because we start to seek connection when we have kids. We start to seek like, oh, no, I can't do this alone. Or I'm looking for more answers. I'm recognizing just how much I don't know. I have no clue what I'm doing anymore. I am lost and exhausted. Um, here is their child care. Take my child for an hour. So I, I think there's maybe a touch of some of that that goes in there that brings people back into church communities when they do have children and they're partnered up. And at the same time, there is something to these questions that Casey has for the church to really dig into and recognize and wonder about why don't we have effective outreach to people in that time period of life? What is it that we are missing? Why aren't we a comfortable space to be? In general, why isn't church, why isn't progressive liturgical church a comfortable or easier place to be in for an unpartnered single individual to come and be a part of? And how could we do it differently? What are the ways that we could, you know, is it, as Casey said, something I think could help is hosting events where millennials already are. The coffee sh shops we work from, a casual service restaurant where we eat alone, a dog park, making church feel accessible. Is it, you talked packs about Jesus went and ate with people, right? I wrote my entire dissertation on that evangelism is about going and being where people are and just seeing Jesus exactly where they are. And is that a big piece of this, that this is not about bringing the generation to the church, but it's about the church needs to get out and go be with God's people. That when you're living life between 25 and 45, you're making ends meet. You're finding the next piece of your life. And so maybe the church just needs to go out and be a part of the world in order to be a part of the lives in that generation and in those years. I'm just talking now. I'm just going to say amen to all of that because I feel the same way, and especially as someone who is in pastor school. And I'm trying to think about, like, what is outreach? Like, what's the purpose? What's the motivation? 
Are we just trying to get people in to fill a pew, to get their money because the generation is dying out and we just need to replace them? Like, Let me ask you in the specific context of Central right now, that's looking mm-hmm. at selling the building. What do you think that kind of outreach would look like for a congregation that is not tied necessarily to one particular space? That's a good question. Mm-hmm. I do think, as Casey mentioned, having a social media presence at a minimum is important and like an active one, an up-to-date one, an engaged one, not one just like, oh, there's a website. Mm-hmm. Because again, as an introvert, I'm the one who's searching for a church community, right? I, I've never been outreached to in my experience, I don't think. And if I have, I didn't know it was happening. And so <laughs> it was not effective. <laughs> like, like I seek it out and having mm-hmm. a website that's up-to-date and having social media that's engaging and active So you can kind of like do some investigative work, right? Like, is this a community that like, what are their values? What's their vision? How are they affirming and not just tolerant? Are they like, what is their leadership? Like you can find out a lot of information about a person or group of people by their internet presence. Mm -hmm. So I do agree that that's important to have some skill or like level of engagement with because me as a millennial... That's where I'm going to start. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I will show up at church after what I see on your website to start mm-hmm. off with. Because I'm going to Google RIC churches in Portland, Oregon, and look at the first five and how conveniently geographically they are and just start going and mm-hmm. seeing how it feels. And I love coffee shops. So, like, if I hear somebody talking about theology in a coffee shop, I'm going to be eavesdropping. And, like, <laughs> I might not approach them. But if there's, like, a placard on the table being like, hey, come join the conversation, Or as far as like observing the sacraments in public, I also have feelings about that. I think all this needed really are the words of institution and just the intention behind it. So I think that can be anything, literally like pizza and a beer, really. So Mm -hmm. like theology on tap, I know some churches do that. And also having like options for sober folks and, you know, just it doesn't have to be complicated. I think we're stuck in a box of what we think church is and what it should be and how to like attract people like we're not an attraction we're not called to like i think my own personal theological convictions tell me that we're not called to bring people into a building to contribute to a community we are a community like pastor amanda said that needs to go out into the world and meet people where they are and whatever they're going through just meet them there and that's it like it does not have to be complicated at all So, yeah, we can go in coffee shops and have a Bible study and just open it up for people to engage with. But if people want to be in a worshipful space, they will find a way to do that. And I think it's up to the people in the community just have like a posture of curiosity and a posture of warmth and a posture of like invitation. So when they do find their way into that space, it's there. It's not like, oh, let's go out and get us some millennials to fill these pews. It's let's get out of the pews and take, like, show why this is valuable, or what do we have to offer? I don't know. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And this is why you are called in the future of the church. And I will say that I don't know that I have met very many people who legitimately feel like we need people just to come in to fill our pews. People could hear that and have a gut reaction that they are being called out Uh, And that they are, you know, if if you're hearing either Pax or I say that and feel like we are judging, 
there, there's a gut reaction internally that you are being judged by either one of us, that that is what we think that you are trying to do as a form of evangelism. I don't think that either one of us believe that either our members at Central or really necessarily any particular Christian actively aims for that. And the reality is that many of us experience evangelism that way. And that's where we can get into that conversation about intent versus impact and people's intent of encouraging and wanting people to come and be a part of a community and people's impact on how that is received and how it feels to receive that can be very different. I want to offer that for those who are feeling kind of a little bit of ouch in hearing that. Let yourself sit with that ouch. Let yourself wonder about that ouch and maybe do a little bit of digging with that and wonder about where the Holy Spirit's calling you on that question. It's very hard to go out into the world and meet people where they are, especially generations that are different than ours. And it's very different to create multi-generational spaces. It's vastly different to be able to do that, especially when we have created such bifurcation between our generations recently, and that there are such incredible differences in communication styles right now between generations. And as someone who bridges generations and as a pastor who has served a multitude of generations at this point in time, I will say that it doesn't get easier. And I am fascinated for the future of the church to say, I think that soon it will not just be the millennials that are missing, right? Some may find their way into participation in holy communities or in, I would say that those who are in Gen X are actively working in mutual care areas and those kinds of pieces, which is a kind of church organization. But I wonder what will happen with Gen Z and Generation Alpha as they come into their 20s as well. And what are the things that millennials could be recognizing right now that they can carry with them when they become the kind of heartbeat core leaders in their 40s and 50s to be able to reach and serve and walk along or journey alongside of Gen Z and Gen Alpha when they hit these important formative years in their 20s and 30s. Well, I think that is an excellent last question for PAX. Given that you are in seminary, what is your hope for the future going forward for the generations and either yours or all of them for the church? I don't think the church is quote unquote dying as some people have defined it because it has maintained its relevance for a couple millennia now. So I don't think it's going anywhere necessarily, but I do think it's an opportunity for like death and resurrection and a way to like just rethink and be creative and how we can keep the sacrality and the sacramental rootedness of the tradition and the good news of the tradition and how we can shift that to meet the needs of others, whether that's in a worshiping community or 
the world. I mean, as someone who's trying to be word and sacrament rooted in a parish, in a congregation, in a worshiping community, um, I don't know what that's going to look like in the next several years. So I'm just trying to stay open to what that could look like and not keep myself in a box and just hang on to the spirits of it all instead of maybe the traditional expectations we have all learned about church and what it means and what it could mean. And yeah, my hope is to stay rooted in the ways it is relevant and meaningful and gently release the ways that it is not and listen to those who it is meaningful for and who it is not meaningful for and meet them and whatever that need is and whatever that looks like and still being faithful to the tradition. Excellent. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda and Pax, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about millennials in church. I loved sitting down with both of you. Thank you again. Thank you so much for having me, and I'll see both of you in church in some way, shape, or form this week. It has been a delight to be a part of this conversation, and perhaps Pax can join you again, Don, to talk about subjects like chaplaincy and other things. If it is something down the road that can happen, we will see. All things are possible. Indeed, right? Thank you, everyone, for joining us, for listening along. It has been a delight. You can learn more about us on iTunes and Spotify. Check out the backlog of episodes. And if you want to reach out and learn more about our podcast, if you would like to talk with Dawn, you can do so by reaching out at podcast at centralportland.org. Until you hear our voice in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.